Hello, friends. Welcome back to Hermeneutica, etc. I'm your host, Jonathan Dansby, and here on the podcast, we talk about theology, philosophy, and so forth. Uh, really glad to have you back. Uh, if you've been a, uh, a returning uh, user of the podcast, uh, thanks for sticking around. I ho- really hope you're finding these uh, podcast episodes helpful and meaningful uh, as you're exploring the creed. Uh, if you are not yet exploring the creed, that's fine, uh, and you want to uh, jump in even better, you can uh, pause this episode, if this is your first one, and you can go back and listen to the, the other 13 uh, or so podcasts and uh, uh, get a feel, a better feel for uh, what we've been talking about in the creed. Um, in this episode, we are talking about the Holy Spirit. Um and in, in some ways, and we'll mention this in the podcast, the Holy Spirit um, in many churches does not get a whole lot of press uh, for whatever reason. There are lots of uh, reasons why that could be. Um, but one of them uh, is because the Holy Spirit in the New Testament anyway uh, is never actually, uh, it's, it's never stated in the New Testament explicitly that the Holy Spirit is worthy of worship. Uh, especially the worship uh, due only unto God. Um, so for, for some reasons like that, uh, the Holy Spirit kind of, kind of gets this, um, uh, we even say this in the episode too, uh, the kind of redheaded stepchild treatment. Um, so for whatever reasons that you may or may not uh, have a particular uh, interest in exploring the Holy Spirit. Uh, I hope you'll find this episode meaningful. Um, there is some, uh, some talk in the episode, um, about how, how the Holy Spirit, um, extends through the hands and feet of human beings. And that's very, very in line with what the New Testament has to say about the Holy Spirit, uh, working through human beings. Um, so uh, this whole series hasn't been entirely for for naught. There is something uh, practical uh, uh, in this whole enterprise, and really the whole point of these episodes and of the the class uh, that I'm teaching on the creed is so that people can uh, understand their faith, what it is that they say they believe about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the Church. Uh, and how they live out those convictions, how it is they approach problems, how it is they approach um, uh, situations where where they're stuck, um, kind of caught between one kind of commitment uh, and uh, a commitment of another sort. And um, I, I really do think that the creed uh, can be part of that process of discernment of working our way through through um, uh, obstacles uh, in our decision making uh, that can help us dis- discern um, ethical issues uh, because in some ways the creed kind of lists out these first principles of, of Christian uh, theological grammar uh, which encompasses both what we what we say and think, and what we what we do, how we live, um, uh, the kind of structures uh, 
that we find in how we think and how we live. Um, so I hope this episode is, uh, like I've said in the past, helpful and meaningful to you. Uh, if you find it meaningful, uh, like, subscribe, rate the podcast, give us a big thumbs up, tell us, um, tell your friends, uh, share it, uh, with your friends, with your family, um, anybody you meet, you can tell them about it. If, uh, if you're interested in, in exploring the creed, uh, this is a place that you can, you can do that. Uh, not sure what we'll be having on the podcast in the near future because this series is coming to an end, uh, but we'll find something and it's going to be good. It's going to be fun and interesting. Um, I'll probably have my friends on so we can, uh, talk more theological nonsense, um, talk about all kinds of things. And hopefully because we end up talking about all kinds of things, you can find something that touches down uh, with what what it is you find interesting, uh, what it is you find uh, meaningful in the world, in uh, in your work, in the church, um, etc. So, uh, without further ado, I hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, so I I found this. Um, a pretty lightweight chapter just it, it was not super complicated but it was uh, lovely it was just it really was there oh, was lots of things there's lots of stuff to talk about enlightening and uplifting uh, yeah it just so made me feel good it was a feel-good chapter it kind of was a feel-good chapter so what uh if there's one or two things that that you want to point out we can let's start with that we can go around the room which one are we on so we're, we're in chapter seven okay. uh, on the Holy Spirit. Okay. Okay, I'll start okay, because I'm super excited yeah. because okay. I, I think for me, in my uh, knowledge or whatever you want to call it, my mm -hmm. background in the faith, you understand the Father, you understand the Son because of the crucifixion and all that, but... The Holy Spirit was always kind of like a stepchild, if you will. Didn't really yeah, yeah. give as much credence right. or whatever to A mystery, kind of. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And you don't really, okay, yeah, 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 the Holy Spirit's out there. But this chapter kind of brought it alive for me. Okay. And so I thought, Callie, where have I been all this? And so on page 240, the, right. the greatest piece I found in this whole chapter, it says, like, um, in the first full paragraph, the greatest loss Christianity has suffered in its long history is the ongoing sense of the resurrection experience and with it an appreciation of the Holy Spirit as an ever-acting agent of change for the reshaping of human minds and hearts and the energizing of communities. And yeah. I thought, this is like the whole chapter in a nutshell, and that's what's missing, I mean, Yes, from a lot yes, of Christianity. Yes, totally we don't agree. feel that joy, that excitement. We don't let the spirit get into us to share it. We mm -hmm. get focused on lots of other things about you shall do this, you shall you shall not do that, and all that, instead of letting the Holy Spirit move us and share the resurrection mm -hmm. story. And I thought, well, yeah, this is 
very no. touching to me. So that's, that's right. why. Well, yeah, no, well, the, it, I, it just made me realize how integral the Holy Spirit, how it, it's just as important as the Father and the Son. And yeah. I'd never really looked at it. You know, as you say, it's like the stepchild. But reading this just made me realize that, hey, this is just as important. Mm -hmm. And uh, if right. not more so, because well, the whole story right. ends. And exactly. If the Holy Spirit it, doesn't move us. Exactly. And so like, exactly. Anyhow, so I felt like very excited to read through this. I need mm -hmm. to capture more of this. So that's why I marked certain sections. So. Yeah, just to comment on some of the things y'all have said. Um, the whole story does kind of come to a screeching halt if the spirit is not involved. Yeah. Uh, there, there wouldn't have been any need to develop the language of Trinity at all. That was a word that ends up getting invented out of necessity to talk about um, the unity of the three divine beings. Uh, so without the Holy Spirit, you don't have that uh, theological development um, that in a lot of ways, the Spirit rounds out the dynamic it gives energy and vitality to the relationship between the father and son. Um, Augustine, I don't know if he mentions it here, but Augustine uh, talks about the spirit as the mutual love shared between the father and the son. And without that, God doesn't create uh, one of the, one of the ways that creation is conceived of and talked about, conceptualized, is as the outpouring of God's love. The it's the overflow of God's love. So if if the Holy Spirit is the mutual love between the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is. We see this in Genesis, uh, the Spirit or the breath. Uh, is over the the deep, um, which is the the abyss is kind of a symbol for uh, a kind of chaotic nothing. Um, that's kind of where we get the idea of an abyss. Anyway, is to go down where you can't see anything, you can't hear anything, uh, and so you can't interact with anything. It's a whole lot of nothing. Um, but the spirit is is moving over that nothing and making possible the emergence of something from nothing, um, i.e. the creation of all that is, of all living creatures. Um, and then in the creation of humans, in the next chapter, the spirit... Um, God breathes into the human and makes a living being, a kind of special creation, which correlates with what we see in chapter one, 
of Genesis, uh, creating humans in the image of God. Well, the image of God, we've talked about in other places, um, especially in, in uh, regard to Jesus or the Son. The Son is the image of the invisible God. So if we're made in the image, how we're made into the image is by the Spirit. Is that, so some of the, the connections, once you kind of lay out uh, some of those things, you start to see that that creation wouldn't be at all without the Spirit uh, moving in the background, so to speak. So it's no accident, uh, and this gets to some of our theological interpretation from a couple of weeks ago, it's no accident that it's the Holy Spirit that comes upon Mary. In part because that is the, the temporal beginning of the incarnation of the Son. It has to be the Spirit. It, 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 can't, it can't be any, anything else. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. It can't be the Father. It has to be the spirit, spirit. Yeah. Yeah. because the spirit is at the same time, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the son. Yeah. Uh, and if the spirit is going to be involved in the creation of the world, just as, as John says, Jesus is involved or the son, the word is involved in the creation of the world. Um, then the spirit has to be involved in the creation of the flesh the word takes. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, and, and not the father um, uh, in, at least when we're talking about the three persons, it would be the person of the Holy Spirit to do that. Um, and so just from creation, you also have the link between the beginning of the world, um, the beginning of, of Israel, the miraculous birth of Abraham or of, of Isaac, Isaac from Abraham yeah. and Sarah. Uh, you also have a similar, um, uh, kind of thing going on with the creation or birth of the church. The church would not exist without the outpouring of the Holy spirit. Right, because you think about that, even like last Sunday's session where it's like, what are the disciples doing? Right, right. Oh, I'm fishing. It's like, what? Yeah. This All this stuff just happened and yeah. you're going fishing? Right. Or they were hiding out in their rooms. Yeah. Until yeah. it's like, what are you guys doing here? You're supposed to be. Right. So. Well, and when they decide to go fishing, they've already seen Jesus. Right. They've already seen him alive, yeah, yeah. resurrected. So, I, I mean, it kind of, these questions are a little off topic, but where has Jesus been for them just to decide to go fishing? You know, how, yes. how could they possibly have been bored? We have to think, right? so I, I, maybe something like, I need to think this over, so I'm going to do yeah, what maybe. I know. Right. Yeah. It's like yeah. taking a walk well, or your comfort zone. Right. Yeah. 
drinking a, a cup of tea, sipping it, I'm going fishing, thinking really. about it. But in retrospect, you see, you just saw <laughs> yeah, exactly. right. the resurrected Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I, just to sort of make explicit how it, how the story would would really come to a grinding halt if the spirit weren't divine or if the spirit weren't um didn't exist at all uh that's kind of how how i would at least on on the spot kind of make explicit how that would be uh it's precisely because it's in the nature of god that this at least the god the christians worship that the spirit be involved um and i i had made a comment uh rosie might remember this i'd made a comment on sunday about how um it's not uh theologically proper or appropriate to call in sort of limited or a delimited fashion, uh, God, or the Father, the Creator, Jesus, the Redeemer, uh-huh. and the Spirit, the, the Sanctifier, uh-huh. right? But that's as, how Martin Luther does in the Catechism, <laughs> you know? Right. Well, the the problem with that is if we limit them to those roles, uh. what that does is end up somehow dividing up um, responsibilities. Right. So that maybe, yes, I I think it actually ends up limiting what the father, son and Holy spirit do precisely because if we, if we take seriously the divine nature as consubstantial, that they share one being, that they share one essence. Um, well, if they share one essence, then they're going to share the work. They're going to share what it is they do. So while it's, this is an example, while it is proper to say that the father uh, does not suffer, that the son is the one who undergoes suffering. He still shares in the pain of the suffering. He shares the agony. He shares um, in the kind of loss that the son experiences in death as the incarnate Jesus, right? That's why the curtain ripped. Right. Um, But the father doesn't suffer just as the spirit doesn't suffer it's that kind of suffering is proper to the sun because the sun is incarnate um so it's not like jesus taking on flesh adds something that that the trinity didn't have uh precisely because the creation of anything is an overflow it's it's a superabundance. um 
so when um getting so getting back to uh creator redeemer sanctifier the father the son and the holy spirit are the creator because they're one god the father the son and the holy spirit are the redeemer the father son and holy spirit are the sanctifier because we're being made of the process of sanctification might happen principally by the agency of the Holy Spirit, but we're being made into, uh, we're being sanctified into the image of the Son. Our redemption might happen principally by the agency of the Son, but that is shared because our saving, our being redeemed, happens by the will of the Father through the ex- through the uh, continued power and presence of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, And principally by the the raising of Jesus from the dead by the Spirit of God. Um, And the creation, uh, it might, um, uh, we can, might get to this a little bit with uh, the part on uh, proceeding from the Father and the Son. Um, but uh, creation might principally be the uh, by the agent by the the will of the Father or the Father as the source, but it happens by the agreement, uh, and so the the co-working of the Son and the Spirit together. So they share the work, even though one might take the lead, so to speak. Uh, I'm curious if that language is technically orthodox, but I think it's, I think it's better for conceiving how all three of them, all three persons of the Trinity um, are all together, creator, redeemer, and sanctifier rather than separately. Um, He had, he had actually talked about that uh, very early on about substitutions for um, identifying God in masculine terms, um, grammatically masculine terms. One of the substitutes that's often suggested or an alternative is to address um, the Trinity individually as creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. Uh, Well, while those those words show up in scripture, but when we start thinking about how God has been revealed um, in those three personas, so to speak, those three personas are the one God. So to, to the mistake is a category mistake. So in, in philosophical terms or, or technical terms, it'd be a category mistake to confuse two categories, uh, to confuse um, what something is with what it does um, or some mixture thereof. Um, so in this case, it would be separating out the persons of the Trinity based on what those persons principally do 
to the exclusion of the other. That would be the category mistake to address. Uh, instead of saying Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to say, uh, like in a liturgical setting, um, to address the Trinity. Well, see, there, there's the thing. We can address the Trinity as creator, redeemer, and sanctifier or sustainer. Some people put in sustainer um, as a prayer to the Trinity, okay. right? But if we were to make this, the substitution and the, the mental association with Father, Creator, Son, Redeemer, and Spirit, Sanctifier, as if they were separate things, right, and, and separate activities, um, then, then I think we'd be getting into, into murky waters. Um, that would be, while I'm kind of thinking on my feet here, that would be something of what I think uh, uh, Muslims or Jews would understand how we mean Trinity. That we're actually, if we do that kind of separation, then what we end up with um, in parts, in part, is not one God, but three. Three gods. And that's what Christians are accused of, uh, of, of having three gods by uh, Jews throughout uh, the history of Christianity. And since uh, Christians have been in, interacting with uh, Muslims, that's been a charge against Christians, is that we don't worship the one God, um, but that we are worshiping three gods. So that's also why I'm conscious of of wary of that kind of separation uh, is because I think that thinking of it in that kind of way um, and I think especially as we're talking about the Holy Spirit that's where it's that's partly why this is coming up um, is because now we're getting in the creed we've gotten to the point where we've come to all three main articles of the creed that have dealt with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, so that, that's part of the reason why I kind of went down um, that rabbit trail, so to speak. But I think it's, I think it's helpful. No, I, no, I don't think it's a bad rabbit hole either. Um, see, still, for me, it's easier to think, it's easier to understand the Father because we have flowers. Right, right. Understand Jesus, but because He was here and lived amongst them. Right. The Holy Spirit. I personally don't think I've ever. I should call on the Holy Spirit more to help us, and that's the joy mm. thing that I think modern right. Christianity right. is missing. Yeah. We, because how often do you hear about the Holy Spirit on Pentecost for sure? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, yeah, right. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah, Pentecost for sure. Yeah. <laughs> But we don't so, think about that happening with us. Right, right. No, that's true. That's true. It's we we think of it as something that happened back then. Yeah. yeah. Or that happens to other people. Right. Um in in remarkable situations, sometimes in different countries. Um sometimes just uh, I mean there's a whole there's a whole movement. I say movement. There's a whole section of Protestant Christianity that 
is more or less dedicated to not exclusively the recognition of the active power and presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. Um, we get uh, Pentecostals and other charismatic groups uh, that see the value or that that have appreciated the the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church and in the life of individual Christians um, and have, you know, for better or worse, made various um, decisions in their worship or in their theology or in how they read scripture uh, or in how how they act so that, that there is an emphasis on uh, consciously calling on the Holy Spirit for present, active guidance in the decisions we make, uh, in the way we treat people. If we're having a particularly difficult time with a coworker, Holy Spirit, give me patience. Holy Spirit, give me peace. Uh, Holy Spirit, uh, grant that I might speak with wisdom. Um, we don't often... Sometimes, I mean, just, and it happens by accident, uh, the accidents of our birth or the accidents of, of what happens to us as we grow up and where we've lived and who we've been around. And uh, a lot of times what, uh, what Christian tradition we've been a part of mm -hmm. as to how that gets emphasized. Um, and so sometimes it is just an accident, an accident of history, um, other times it's an accident of, uh, of the kind of preaching we've heard or the kind of, the kind of teachers we've had, uh, or frankly, what kinds of passages of scripture we've been more drawn to yes. mm -hmm. in our life. Uh, so, okay. So go ahead. I got a curveball question for you. Okay. We'll see if I can hit it. The same people that will pray an intercession, an intercessionary prayer to the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. are the same ones that accuse some people of being idolaters because they pray to saints for intercession. So my yeah. question is, what's the difference between praying to the Holy Spirit as an intercession? Mm -hmm. And those that pray to Mary or Joseph or whomever as an intercession, go and speak on my behalf to God or to Christ on my behalf. Right. We stand with the theory of we're supposed to pray directly to God or directly to Jesus for help. Mm -hmm. So where's the differentiation between, oh, but it's okay to have the old hip the Holy Spirit as an intercession. Right. Uh, the first difference I would point to, if we take seriously the claim that the Holy Spirit is the same. divine part of the Trinity, mm -hmm. um, that we are, in that instance, if we call upon the Holy Spirit, 
we are going directly to the source. Okay. That's what I would okay, say. Okay, so right. that, yeah. that, that would be the first thing. thing. Yeah, it's part of the Trinity. Yeah. But I would say the logic, the, the logic of, um, I will use the word praying to the saints or praying to Mary, um, is not the same as the logic of worship. All right. So to pray... Uh, is simply to ask. So if, if, if we go to New Testament texts uh, and we replace every single occurrence of prayer with the appropriate form of ask, uh, to ask, was asking, um, that kind of thing, then it leaves room. At, at that point... All right, let me back up. The development of the the logic of praying to saints or praying to Mary, who is, we would say, the chief saint, the chief human saint. Okay. okay. The chief saint, which means holy one, is the risen Jesus. All right. Okay. He's, he's human and yes. divine. So he is not only human, right? So as far as concerns only humans, only human beings, Mary, um, according to Christian tradition, for the majority of Christian history, Mary has been considered the chief uh, of the holy ones amongst humans, precisely because, and we had talked about this some a couple of weeks ago, because of her response in, in her openness to the life of the very life of God in her. So the Holy Spirit comes upon her and the incarnation of Jesus is, is initiated um, uh, in conception. Um, so, but the, so the logic of prayer as it's come to be the understanding of Christian prayer um, is not limited to uh, prayer to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, it extends to the saints because of their the recognition of their particular closeness to God in, in some form or fashion, which happens so their particular closeness to God to in one form or another happens because of their being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. They're in their conformity unto the image of the Son, which is the will of the Father. So because they've sort of gone through, uh, at least in their human life, they've gotten closer to uh, encountering the fullness of the life of God. Um, that's part of the reason why it's, it's logical to ask the saints to intercede on our behalf. So it's still, it, it's still an asking for intercession. Um, 
recognizing that they are alive to the presence of God. If they really are saints, if their lives really have been sanctified, if they really have been uh, conformed and are now experiencing a continual um, uh, comportment to the image of Christ, the image of the Son, uh, again, by the will of the Father, if that really is the kind of life that they're living now before the Father, before the Lord, really, all three, then it only makes sense that because of their particular closeness, they have a kind of access and favor, which means grace. They have a particular kind of grace uh, that we are asking them to, to share and to ask the Father, um, since we at least think of the Father as the sort of principal source, the Father um, to show a kind of favor to us, a particular kind of grace, which is a gift. So favor, grace, gift, all of those are those words. They're distinguished in English, but they all have very close resemblances in Latin, in Greek. So in the, and those are the two major liturgical theological languages of the of Christian uh, history, Latin in the West principally and Greek in the East principally. There are other theological languages uh, that are important. Um, but as far as the, the majority of of Christians, Latin and Greek have been those principal languages. And so uh, grace and gift, uh, if another translation thing, if we went to every text in the New Testament where grace was, the word grace mm -hmm. appeared, uh, or it's, it's various forms and we have to translate it differently to, to do that. Uh, and we replaced some appropriate version of the word gift or, or given, uh, if it's a verbal form or if it's a noun, depending on, you can do that because it's the same word. Uh, and the same thing goes with something like favor to show a particular kind of favor. Um, we even say this now in English, do me a favor, give me a particular kind of, of gift. Uh, do something for me, uh, help me in some way. So even when we ask others to do us a favor, we're still asking something of a particular kind that's based on the kind of relationship that we have, right? So if the saints, uh, the chief among whom is Mary, uh, at least Christian history and theology has has identified her as such, um, then that kind of logic goes that asking them um, for a particular gift uh, is not asking as though they were the ultimate source of that gift. We still recognize that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the source, are the, the final ultimate source of the gifts and graces that we 
experience. Um, but uh, so that would be that would be how I would would respond to the logic. Um, and that's how I would say it's different from worship. Uh, worship is proper only unto the Trinity as the Lord. Um, for some of the metaphysical reasons that we had talked about several weeks ago, precisely because, uh, at least in Christian theological grammar, God is utterly transcendent. Uh, that's, that's the principal reason why only God is truly worthy of worship is because of that transcendence uh, as the creator principally. Uh, that, that's the sort of first layer of how that transcendence is experienced is the distinction between creator and creature. So it's precisely because we are creatures of the Trinity that they're worthy of worship. Now, the difference there, and this has actually come about in the language that we've used, worship is due properly only unto the triune Lord. Uh, veneration or a kind of reverence is appropriate toward uh, the saints chief among whom is Mary, right? So that's the kind of log and how, logic and how I would distinguish prayer from worship. Uh, and so, yes, worship is proper only unto the Trinity, but prayer is appropriate to uh, the people who have died because they're still humans who have died uh, in a similar way. So the analogy would be if you ask someone else to pray for you that's still living uh we intercede on your behalf uh to that the father might show a particular kind of grace or favor to you in that situation um so a little bit of a curveball maybe i hit it maybe i didn't maybe i got to first base i don't know <laughs> Uh, we also refer to the Holy Spirit as the Comforter. Yes. 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 All the time. A that's lot. right. Yeah. Well, and in part, that's how Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit. Um, that his, precisely because his, his physical body will not always be with us. Right? So it was with particular reference to his uh, physical, incarnate, uh, temporal existence. Um, so what we needed after was the comforter. He's going to send, he would send the comforter. He told the disciples. Right. The one who would be with us. Uh -huh. Right. Right. Uh, the advocate. Yeah. The, um, uh, in Greek it's paraclete, which is, um, so an advocate is one who speaks on the behalf of someone else, mm -hmm. which means that they have to be on their side. Yeah. Right? So a, a comforter is one who comes alongside you uh, in grief or in joy. We can be joyful and still yeah. comfort others. 
precisely because we're coming alongside them in their joy and in their celebration. Uh, comforting doesn't just have to be if in grief or loss or some kind of pain. It can be in joy. Um, so, uh, yes, the spirit is the comforter. Uh, and as such is the sort of chief um, energizer for the life of the spirit, uh, for the life of the church. I was going to say, wait. Short circuit. And that's what we need too, because that's yeah. I think that's what's missing in a lot of aspects of the church. The energy, the delight, the joy. Yeah. Right. Well, and some of it comes um, you know, for example, we were talking about the yarn winders. Uh you take, I'm sure, a particular kind of joy in what you do otherwise well, you wouldn't COVID, do it we used to be able to go to the nursing homes and have like a little mm. tea with these people and bring them like a little lap gown and right. the joy on their faces and the amazing number of people who thought they had to pay for it i mean they're so right. used to being taken or you know i mean I hate to put it that way but right. they just assumed if somebody's bringing something in they'll be charged for it right and to see the joy on their face when we said no these are gifts yeah. uh you know and so there there you go using the language of gift exactly yeah. that it's is a gift. what a grace yeah it really exactly. is to, to so be it, thought of yeah it was yeah it, you know we can't do that anymore now we just drop off you know a whole bunch of them at the door for right. them to pass out which is but at least we're getting them to them. But yeah, we're missing out on the joy in both directions. Mm -hmm. And we have the joy of being, knowing that they're going to be put to good use. And, but, right. you know, and hopefully we'll get back to that someday. But. I hope so too, because there is in that moment, that interpersonal connection. Uh, that's where the spirit comes alive. That's how you share that joy. And it's something you also teach to your children. The last time we were able to go, I took my two grandchildren along. Mm. It was it was in June, so they were out of school. And the amazement on their faces. I mean, my, my grandson mm. was pushing wheelchairs around, getting all the men into the room. And he did a really good job. And he said, Grandma, they really needed our help. I said, yes, that's why I brought you. I didn't bring you. I brought you because your help was needed, but I also wanted you to experience the joy of what we're doing here. And they were able to pass up drinks to the people and it was a learning experience for them, but they got more out of it than everybody there. But, but also the old people love to see children. Yes. Yes. So, yes. you know, it's just things that we can do on a simple basis without yeah. putting a whole lot of effort out there. Yeah. But it's that, we, we do kind of think of those things as kind of, you know, the least we could do. Yeah. But in, in some ways, that's the most you could possibly do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Because yeah. that right there is the sum total. I say sum total. It's, it is, in that moment, the full work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. It's not just a little part of it. Yeah. yeah. It's not, you know, just, you know, three quarters or a quarter or whatever. It the Holy Spirit is fully present in those moments yeah, yeah. when you share that joy, when you extend um, 
a, a particular kindness to to the folks in in a nursing home. So many of whom do not get visitors. You know, right. Prior to COVID, yeah. I mean, right. they did not get visitors. That's, so you yeah, can imagine what the... Yeah, how many fewer they get now. Oh, I, yes. yeah. 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 That's that's the worst part about it all. Yeah. Is they're already isolated. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. My mother-in-law, they put her into the nursing home shortly before COVID struck. Hmm. And this was a woman that had nine children. Oh, my. So she was accustomed to being constantly surrounded by someone. Yeah. Sure. And she didn't even get the opportunity to visit with people and play cards sure, and sure. socialize because they all then got restricted to their rooms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, the you know, to be further isolated, it's, 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 it's a cruelty. It yeah. is. And oh, it yeah. promotes dementia, too. Yeah. Well, of course. Oh, yeah. Yes, my poor aunt the same way. All we could do was look at her through the window. Yeah. Because she had to stay in her own room. You could call her, yeah. but her hearing is yeah. not that great. Yeah. So even talking on the phone was challenging. But And then we, we busted her out a couple of times. Oh, good for you. Good for you. All right. Through the window? No. That's <laughs> yeah, a doctor's right. appointment. Oh, okay. <laughs> So they they don't argue with. I had to stop at Sonic on the way home, you know. It's just a doctor's appointment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, she's like, I'm so happy. Yeah, it's amazing. Just because now we're going to make uh, Afghans for the Christmas stuff for Care Corps. Oh, that yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So I mean, there's just so many. If people let us know where the need is, we do our best to try to just. Yeah, we'll do the best we can. Yeah. I was the recipient yeah. of a couple of prayer shawls. Yeah, yeah, I got, I got one too. My niece's diagnosis, yeah. and I'll tell you what, I still, if I'm having a bad day, I curl mm. up with that around me because I know it's that the ladies yeah. were yeah. praying right. while they right. were making that. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Oh. That's making me tear up. That's beautiful. Oh. <laughs> It really, no, it really here is. Here you thought we just sat and told stories, huh? Yeah, <laughs> just stories. No, these, but these kinds of, of stories that you're, that you're telling now are instances in our lives when the Holy Spirit has been at work, even when, you know, we don't always recognize yeah, yeah. the Holy Spirit's presence. Yeah. That's in... Uh, so let that, me tell you the source of the name where we got the air reminders from. Okay. Neil Crane moved his mother down here. This has got to be, I mean, I'm losing track of time, close to 10 years ago. And she had leukemia, and it was her choice not to be treated for it. But she loved to knit, and she was a part of our group for a little over a year. And we had to come up with a name because we were a newer group, and she came up with that name and we just loved it because it had more than one meaning. Right. Right. So, (laughs) um, and then she left us and, um, but we always think of her, uh, you know, in a very loving way because, you know, she shared her life with us for a short time, but, Mm -hmm. uh, she was a very meaningful part of our life. Yeah. I think just to kind of extend off of that, I think this is why, collections of the lives of the saints are so powerful people will read the lives of the saints and be converted yeah they just pick it up or they've they've been exploring for a little while and they come across uh the life of saint francis or the life of uh saint benedict or the life of saint therese uh lisieux and they're so taken 
by this person's joy, this yeah. person's love, this person's uh, uh, presence and peace, um, that they're, they're won over. Because that can only be that kind of life. Uh, and all the saints are so different. But we recognize, even though they're all so very different, that there is one source of that whole vitality, uh, that whole variety of, of ways to live out the we would say the resurrection of Jesus, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is the same. And he, he actually mentions, he makes that connection. Uh, when he's been talking about the resurrection, he's been talking about the spirit as the power. Uh, as, well, and he goes in some uh, different ways in the same chapter, uh, identifying how the spirit is at the same time uh, the power that the Christians experienced and the person who was guiding them in that experience, uh, speaking to them, guiding them, uh, testifying to them, testifying to others, uh, someone capable of knowing the inner thoughts of someone or knowing things that nobody else could have known. And so in revealing those things, you know, people reveal things. So in revealing that thing um, to some particular person or allow enabling someone to prophesy, that is the, the uh, at work, the personal power so when he's he's talking about the spirit as a power and as a person, that's in some ways this connection is just kind of coming to me. How he's talking about the spirit in this chapter as both a power and as a person, and trying to make those texts because those New Testament texts they talk about the spirit in very different ways, as a power, as a kind of um, um, short way of of saying something about the Holy Spirit. And as a person, um, the Spirit being the active verbal agent of, of various verbs, okay. or the, the, the subject of various verbs, uh, doing, knowing, revealing, leading, uh, speaking, etc. Um, it, it's almost, it's, I want to draw the analogy between the two natures of the Son of Christ, divine and human. Well, the Spirit is the power at work in Christians, in believers, and in their communities to transform them, and is the one doing that transformation. Uh, so it's not just an impersonal force. Uh, so this is May 4th. Right. So there's jokes for those who oh, know Star Wars. May the fourth be with you. Well, the force in Star Wars is an ethereal, impersonal, very vague, yes. ambiguous yeah. kind of thing. Uh, it is not a kind of thing at all. It's just kind of there. Well, 
the spirit isn't like that at all. So I actually had a, a friend in college. He he called. Um, he was making a joke, but uh, he called Yoda uh, the. Uh, there was some, he, he had there was some kind of statement Yoda made about the Force, and uh, he said, "Yeah, man, who knew Yoda was Buddhist." And so it just kind of struck me, but it's always stayed with me, that kind of joke. But it points to the kind of, the sort of difference between, in this case, Christianity and Buddhism on something like the Holy Spirit, where for Christians, the Holy Spirit is a very particular personal power, a personal force that is deeply involved and is capable of knowing us uh, and and taking us up into the life of God. Uh, whereas for a Buddhist, it's much more ambiguous, murky, um, where we're kind of getting into the flow of something that really couldn't give a rip about us. Uh, it doesn't care about us so, so much as uh, just sort of drag us along if we have the mental, spiritual wherewithal to recognize the current of the the flow of these forces moving around us and through us, etc. Um, I'm sure that's wildly inaccurate, but that's my perception. <laughs> well, maybe not. But j just to, to emphasize, perhaps, uh, drastically emphasize the differences between something like Buddhism and Christianity on this topic of the spirit. Um, and it all has to do with um, identifying who this Lord is. So we, we say in the creed that the spirit is the Lord. Well, to say the spirit is the Lord is to say that the Spirit is the God of Israel. The same, not the same way uh, that Jesus is the Lord, uh, the God of Israel, uh, and is not exactly the same way that, that the Father is the Lord, the God of Israel. Um, they're all three, the Christians would say, the Lord. And the Lord is, according to Christian scriptures, which is shared by the Jews, the Lord is their one God. So by identifying the Spirit that way, we're identifying the Spirit with a particular deity who has a particular history with a particular people. So it's, it's not vague and, and immaterial, uh, ethereal, um, uh, ambiguous. It's very particular. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason why it was important for uh, the framers of the creed to identify the spirit in that way. Um, I don't think they thought about it in quite those terms. But it, I think it's somewhat helpful for us to now, on this side, think of the spirit 
as the Lord in that way, identifying just as um, Lord and Christ and Jesus, uh, namely of Nazareth, is kind of whispered in the background of the creed, identifies a very particular one, uh, right? It's Jesus of Nazareth, uh, kind of whisper under our breath, so to speak, who is the Messiah. So it identifies a, a very particular part of a particular story and identifies as Lord, uh, the God of that particular people, the particular God of that particular people who's been in a particular kind of relationship for thousands of years. So to identify Jesus in that way, the, 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 uh, just as we do that, we also do that with the spirit to identify the spirit as Lord and giver of life. Only God is the Lord and only God is the giver of life. Um, so when we, uh, kind of coming back to what I had talked about earlier with, um, uh, creator, redeemer, sanctifier in the creed, it leads us away from separating out those roles to the, um, to the different persons exclusively. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to call the, the spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, well, in giving life, God creates, right? So the spirit is doing the spirit it, as the giver of life is involved just as much as the others, the other persons in the creation of anything in the sustaining of that creation, uh, in the Psalms, this, the psalmist, uh, a couple of places, will talk about um, if you take your breath away, we fall to ashes, or think, uh, basically things disintegrate, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, well, that's rooted in that, that kind of image of the creation of the human in Genesis chapter 2, right? Breathing into the nostrils and becoming a living being. Uh, to remove that, we return to the dust yeah. uh, and are no longer alive in our, our flesh, right. uh, our bodies. Um, so that would be, he, he, I don't think he quite talks about it in that way to, for the spirit to be the Lord and giver of life. But basically his summary is to call the spirit, the Lord is to call the spirit, God to call the spirit, the giver of life is to call the Spirit God, which is to recognize the equal divinity of the Spirit alongside the Son and the Father. So the, the divinity of the Father has really never been questioned. The divinity of the Son was debated, and so that got settled. Then the divinity of the Spirit was debated. Uh, so at some point, you had a kind of um, uh, monad, for a, a monotheism, right? And then there was, uh, at least as the debates uh, went on, there was still Trinitarian language. That was never lacking. 
in the tradition that was never lacking in the Christian grammar, the idea that there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, but how do we understand the re relationship? So that's where the debates about the Son and the Spirit come from, is trying to figure out the relationship of those three okay. and where where they kind of rank, yes. if we can say that crassly. Because you, you, it's one thing to talk about the Trinity, but yeah. inevitably we kind of rank them, I think. We do, yeah. um, but we always... Well, even within you, the, the concept of the triangle, one is higher than the others. Right. right. But the point, I think the point of the triangle is no matter how you turn it, the relations stay right. the same. Yes. Yeah. Right? So, and that's partly the beauty of, I would say, the beauty of geometry is no matter how you turn particular identified defined shapes, the relations uh, between those sides, between the corners, the angles, the lengths, um, everything, everything doesn't, exactly doesn't matter same. how you turn it. It always yeah. stays the same. Yeah. That's kind of how we think about God the Trinity anyway, uh, is in a particular yeah. kind of a more or less defined relationship with everything God has created. Mm -hmm. The first definition of that relationship is as a creator mm -hmm. to the creature. The other would be, um, well, how, how is this creature, um, to what extent is this creature capable of recognizing that relationship? And so that would exclude uh, animals, plants, and other yeah, right. non-animate things, yeah. rocks, yeah. namely, uh, <laughs> right, or magma, you know, <laughs> things that aren't um, uh, living in the same way okay. uh, that plants are, or that animals are. Um, and then, you know, if we're cognizant of some kind of relation with God, um, that can change over time uh, at least how we perceive that relationship are we closer are we farther away uh have we have we paid a particular amount of attention to the father for a season or have we paid a particular amount of attention to the son for a season right. or the spirit for a season uh of our life if we're if we're believing christians uh that would make more sense than somebody who's not yes. right if somebody who is an agnostic or they haven't been raised they have made a conscious decision um or an unconscious one they just ne were never raised uh to be christian they were never raised uh to to think about god in this way or or a particular kind of way at all um their relationship with with god is going to be we would say is going to be different than the kind of relationship we would have with God. Mm -hmm. Not on the kind of fundamental level of them being a, a beloved creature uh, of God, capable of recognizing that relationship, capable of living into that relationship more fully. Uh, but it would be different from, from how we would say Rosie's relationship with God is or, or, or yours. Um, so, uh, that was maybe an extended reflection from uh, the beauty of math and geometry. Uh, 
which uh, St. Augustine, Augustine would have some different things to say about the mathematicians. Um, but uh, we, can, we can finish up on the Holy Spirit. I think we've covered, we've covered a decent bit of what's in here. Maybe not um, all the scriptural texts, but I think um, if you have a chance, read through the uh, Upper Room Discourse in John. Uh, from that's chapters like 13 to 17 or something. Okay. Maybe it's 14 to 18. I can't remember exactly. Um, but that's where a lot of John's language on the Holy Spirit is kind of located. It comes up a lot of other places in John too. Uh, and he, he mentions a few of those. Um, but it's all over the place in Paul. So if you have a chance, instead of reading the chapter a second time, okay. um, read try and read uh, those couple of chapters in John, or you can go through and all the references that he's put down. Mm, a, uh, a lot of them are in the same, a, bunch. a <laughs> lot of them oh, yes. happen in the same, yes. they're in proximity to each other. So it might be like two okay. verses away or something. Uh, so if you can read Romans in Romans uh, or in, like in First Corinthians, so this is top of two twenty one, yeah. for example. In First Corinthians, uh, chapter fourteen, there is a couple of references, uh, or chapter twelve, there's a couple of references. So you might read a, a not just chapter twelve, verse three, uh, or chapter twelve, verse thirteen. Uh, you might read uh, the including verses or or some surrounding verses, something like that. So. There are a lot of references, yes, but yes. some of them are to the same chapter, okay. just yes. separated verses. Um, so you might do that or uh, just real quick, actually, if you don't know about the controversy, the Filioque controversy, there's a short little segment in here. I had uh, suggested this as a, a companion for brushing up on your church history. He has some, he has some, uh, about it here. Um, but I, I think this would be a, a good, it's super short. It's like three pages, uh, on the Filioque and some of the other issues that le eventually led to the division between the East and the West in 1054. So the Filioque is one of them, but according to him, he doesn't think it's actually one of the most significant issues that ended up dividing the East and the West. What is the filio? What does that word mean? The filio? Filioque? Say it, yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk about more about that uh, next 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 week. Okay. Um, uh, in Latin, it means "and from the sun." Okay. Very simply, so the filioque, um, that one little word, uh, was added. Um, after Constantine. S-O-N. Son. S-O-N. S-O-N. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Philly, um, to have some kind of filiation is to be a sibling mm -hmm. of, of some kind. Okay. Uh, or, no, that would be son. So, it's not a sibling. It would be a, a son. So, uh, my son is related to me filially. He's so he can give to me the love of a son and I can give to him the love of a pater. Uh, so I'm related to him paternally. Right. Right. 
Um, that's that's how the Latin stuff works. Um, but uh, so just again to make reference to this, uh, really short read on the whole. I mean, um, a lot of the chapters are no more than seven pages. Uh, so really accessible. Um, uh, just for the name, it's David Bentley Hart, H-A-R-T, The Story of Christianity. Um, so if you want some more on the Filioque controversy, you can turn here. Okay. There is some stuff online um, at Orthodox Wiki, W-I-K-I, on the Filioque. And the Orthodox are... <laughs> yeah. We're going over the edge here. <laughs> well, so it, it's something like Wikipedia for um, for things related to Orthodoxy, Eastern Orthodoxy, uh, generally. And so they'll have little articles on the Filioque. They'll have articles on the Nicene Creed, on different heresies, uh, lots of different stuff. So Orthodox Wiki. Uh, you can Google it, and it'll probably come up as the first option. Okay, we're out on Google. Uh, all right, you can use another search engine. I don't care. Um, but I, I thought that that might be uh, some helpful homework just for for church. I mean, it, it's helpful to understand. Uh, and, and again, we'll talk more about the that particular word next week. But some of the why the creed is important and some of the issues of why some people don't accept the creeds any creed at all yeah. you know that that one word yeah. has been yeah. part of some people saying yeah no thanks yeah. yep um so so we're not to go on to the next chapter we're just gonna do a little more we'll do a little more in okay. in this okay. chapter so okay. um we'll touch another couple of points right I don't. I don't think it's going to be hard. It's going to be about uh, about the church. Hey, so. you know what you... so if you heard the last part of that episode, you made it this far. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, if you heard that last part, um, that little bit I said about the the uh, the church uh, not being complicated. Um, wow, uh, the church is anything but not complicated. Um, especially now, there's lots of things that are going on in the world that are, are troubling. And then there's stuff that is going on in the church that's just as troubling. Um, so the church is complicated. Uh, it's, it's difficult to deal with. It's messy, uh, precisely because it's full of human beings, uh, and human beings make terrible decisions. They make terrible mistakes. Uh, but human beings are also capable of making decisions that uh, that's, that fall in line with the Holy Spirit. Humans are, in fact, capable, through the power and grace uh, of the Holy Spirit, of walking according to the Spirit. As messy as that is, um, the Spirit can work through human beings, and the Spirit can work through the church. Um, so, I hope you'll stick around. Um, for next week's episode, as we wrap up our discussion on the spirit, we're going to keep going after that into the article on the creed, uh, sorry, under the article on the church. 
and we'll wrap up our our conversation with maybe one more episode after that kind of wrapping all thing all these uh threads together um getting some impressions from the folks who've been in the class about how um uh, how what they've enjoyed about the class um things that they that really sticks out to to their memory that's really Im- impacted them that's really impressed them that's moved their 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 thinking that's um given them new things to think about uh so if you'll stick around we're almost done with the class and uh, it won't be too long before we're done with with this series of podcasts so um again thanks for sticking around if you enjoy the podcast if you find it meaningful uh like uh subscribe so you can uh, get those notifications about when new episodes drop um share with your family and friends you can also rate and review the podcast so that it's more likely that somebody will actually find us if they're trying to search for something on the creed or something on um uh, i don't know theology philosophy and so forth uh imagine that so um i think that's all for now i will catch you later um well before i get there i should do the tagline shouldn't i uh you've been listening to hermeneutica etc where we talk about theology philosophy and so forth i'll be in your ears next time